morning, friends. My name is Johnson Dowdle. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, we're going to do a little call and response this morning. I'm going to say, he is risen, and you all are going to respond by saying, he is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen Amen. <clears throat> Will you bow your heads in prayer with me this day? God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the many blessings you have poured on us. God, we ask that your grace uh, would be present with us today. God, that you would speak to us through your word. May we be changed by your word. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. I have a question for you. Um, have you ever stood on the sidelines and yelled to show your support to somebody who was on the field? Did you ever do that? I remember doing this when my daughter Sam first started playing soccer. Uh, I was on the sidelines yelling so loudly and cheering. Anybody who watched me that day would have thought that my daughter was playing for the US, uh, uh, on the U.S. team for the Olympic gold. That's how excited I was uh, that my daughter was playing. I was like a crazy man. And then later, a couple of years later, my daughter started to kind of love the game of soccer. And she started playing a little bit more competitively. Uh, and I remember uh, we would have a huddle uh, in the parking lot. You know, you've been to soccer games, right? You know, you kind of get together in the huddle. Um, this was, you know, pre-game talk. And the pre-game talk usually started with something like this. Dad, it's just a game. <laughs> You're not the coach. You're not the ref. Please, stop. That was our pre-game conversation to get us pumped up. All right, 15 minutes into the game, the pre-game game talk is out the window and I'm yelling like a crazy man just cheering and just saying you know I wanted to show my support to that team I'm sure you've done this uh, you've done this uh, any Eagles fans here oh my goodness what is going on just a very few Eagles like let's do it again seriously half the church is not Eagles where am I not in Delaware County anyway so, you know, there's a lot of heartache. I'm sure you yelled at the TV enough times, right? About a call that was made, a play that was not played, and you did it, right? If you're a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, and you saw your friends compete, you wanted to be there for them. You wanted to cheer on for them. You wanted them to be victorious. You wanted them to do well. You want them to win. That's the reason you're there. That's just part of human nature, who we are. We want our team to win. Uh, this past uh, year, I'm sure uh, some of you are following March Madness. Some of you, like Kristen, are wondering what March Madness is all about. March Madness is uh, a basketball competition where a bunch of colleges come together and play. Okay? All right? It's called March Madness, but it goes into April. Don't ask me why. All right? That's just what it is. All right? And this year, like the whole nation, I guess, like I kind of got on the bandwagon of one college named St. Peter's. Uh, they're the Peacocks, right? And they were, they came out of nowhere and they were winning games. And I was telling Kristen the story and she kind of caught the bug. And she, you all know I love sports. I love watching it. Kristen never likes to watch sports. She thinks it's the most boring thing to do. Pray for her, please. Anyway, <laughs> right? So I kind of talked to her. I told her, and she got excited. She bought into it. And she started 
watching it and at one point she said, oh my gosh, this team is going to give me blood pressure. <laughs> They're about to lose and they win. <laughs> They're almost about to lose and they win again. Right? No matter who you are, you want your team to win. You want the people that you want to support to win. You want them to do well. One of the things that I realized as I was sitting on the sidelines cheering for my daughter or cheering for the Eagles uh, or you name a team, I realized something. Even as I'm standing on the sidelines cheering, but those who are on the field, they have a game plan. They have a game plan as to how they want to win. They have a game plan. This is something that I found uh, by Peyton Manning. Uh, he was playing golf. He, Peyton Manning is an uh, excellent football player, but he was playing golf. Uh, and this is some of his notes that he uh, put together. Uh, how to tee, like, you know, tee right. Like, you know, this is his practice session. Like, at each hole, there are some notes as to how he needs to do it. Right? What are the, some of the things that he needs to do? How he needs to, you know, win that game. He had a game plan going into it. I would love to see other golfers stuff as well. And the other thing is, uh, this happens in basketball, right? This happens in basketball, right? This is a defensive play. Um, this is called man on man, right? Am I saying that right? Yeah, right? Like everybody, essentially the coach is saying to his or her team, all you need to do to stop the other team is just stick to your guy. Don't move, just stick to them and crowd them and, and we'll stop them from scoring, right? This is what the defense call and so the offense calls another play. What they're saying is we are gonna essentially mismatch the people, right? And the point guard who's PG, he's going to pass the ball to the center who's gonna cut across and come and shoot. That's essentially it, right? Each team, the defense had a plan, the offense had another plan. The same is true for uh, football as well, right? Right? The, in football, this is what it is. It's a defensive play. The two X's in the back that are in orange, uh, they're called your safeties. Um, and then the greens are your linebackers. Um, and the blue in the front are your linemen. And essentially, the linemen are trying to get to the quarterback as soon as possible. That's it. That is as simple as that. And then as the defense is doing this on the line of scrimmage, on the other side, there's another play that's being played. This is called an XYZ play, essentially. Your X and your Z are your wide receivers. Um, your Y is your tight end. And, and essentially what happens is your X and your Y, they are close to the line of scrimmage. Z is a little bit back, and you call the play. And what you're doing, essentially, is we're trying to figure out who's going to win, right? Which play is going to beat the other play? Which play is going to come out on top, right? This is a constant back and forth in any game. In any game, no matter where you are, whether it's the offense or defense, who is going to figure out the other team's play? And who is going to win? Right? Their preparation has led them to this point. And at the core of it, they want to win. And who's going to win? Who's going to win 
Is the offense going to win the play? Or is the defense going to win the play? Right? That's it. Friends, last week, we celebrated Palm Sunday. We were here in church, and we celebrated Palm Sunday. And we said that there was a lot of cheering on that day. On that day, Jesus rode into town on a donkey, and Jesus was going there. Jesus was doing essentially what every emperor did in the past. Jesus, when he walked in, rode on a donkey into Jerusalem, he was saying that he conquered the land. After waging a battle, this is what emperors would do. They would ride into the capital city to crowds that were cheering him on their arrival of, new, of their new emperor. They were saying, finally, you're here. Thank you for being here. And the crowd would cheer on. And that is what the crowd was doing to Jesus. When Jesus rode on that donkey and came in last Sunday, this is what we read happened on that day. On that Sunday, this is what took place. John chapter 12. The great crowd that had come from the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna! The name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. In other Gospels, we read that people were screaming and yelling, Hosanna to the son of David. Here, the people of Israel who were gathered there were saying, we're cheering for team Jesus. They wanted him to win. They call him son of David. It's because they're aware of the covenant that God made with David. They're aware of the promise that God made with David. God said to David, David, when you are reigning as king, your sons from now on out will always reign over Israel. And they were excited that Jesus would finally reign. They were excited that this day had finally come. After all these years of longing, after all these years of waiting, finally there is a Messiah who would save them. They were shouting for joy. A king riding down on a donkey. No longer are they going to live under oppression, but experience joy for living under the rule of son of David. Here it is. And they did the cheer. Jesus' triumphal entry in the Gospel of John 12, we read, this is how it took place. We read that what Jesus did fulfilled what the prophets were talking about. Zechariah is a prophet. And this is what Zechariah wrote many years before Jesus was born. This is what the prophet said. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughters of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly riding a donkey. This is what the prophet said would happen. And here, Jesus is fulfilling that prophecy in other ways, friends. Another way to say it is Jesus is actually carrying out the play that the prophet wrote much before Jesus was born. Finally, the scriptures were being fulfilled. Jesus and his disciples were carrying out the play and the crowds were cheering. And the crowd is excited. They are saying, finally, hallelujah, Hosanna. 
Jesus is here. The city of Jerusalem where David reigned as king. Finally, his son is here. And he is going to do the same thing that the king did. See, after this play was carried out by Jesus, Satan was crafting his own play. Satan was trying to stop the king of the Jews. See, Satan was planning another play. But before I talk about what the next play that the Satan played, I want to talk about some of the previous plays that the Satan played. That, that Satan ran. The first one was, you remember King Herod? The Magi from the East come. And they say, we are here to worship the king of the Jews. And Herod gets upset. That there's going to be another king who was born. And the play was to kill all the children in Bethlehem. That's what Herod carries out. But the angel appears to Joseph at night. And tells them the plan. That is being played out. And they escaped to Egypt. And then after Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Right before he started his public ministry. There were three plays. I would say the Satan played to trick up Jesus. Three different times he was tempted. And Jesus was victorious on the other side. Jesus was able to defeat him. But today, Jesus' game was reaching his height. First, Jesus was an insignificant baby. Second, Jesus was an unknown adult. But now large crowds were following Jesus. The whole town came out to meet the king of the Jews. Jesus was closing in and to take over the reins and to be coronated as king. When this was taking place, this is what we read in the Gospel of Luke. This is a play that was unfolding. Reading from Luke 22, 1 through 6. Now the festival of the unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. For they were afraid of the people. Satan entered Judas, Satan entered Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve. Judas went to the chief priest and to the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand over Jesus to them when no crowd was present. Jesus and his disciples were in town and the devil called the next play. The next play would eliminate Jesus. Satan entered Judas to carry out this plan to help the chief priests and the teachers of the law to kill Jesus. I love the attention to detail that the gospel writer Luke puts in here. He knows that Jesus was well received. They know that Jesus, the crowds came out to cheer for him and yell for him. He knows that the words of the prophet were fulfilled and this is a little note that Luke adds, which is, I think, is so significant for us. Verse 6, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand over to them when no crowd was present. Satan didn't want the whole crowd to be involved when Jesus was being betrayed. 
because they were cheering for Team Jesus. Satan's play was this. We know the story that took place this past week. We as a church journeyed together starting on Monday, Thursday into Good Friday. On Monday, Thursday, Jesus was gathered with his disciples at the Passover meal. After the meal was over, Jesus took his disciples to sing and pray in the garden, essentially calling the disciples to pray. He urged his disciples to pray for them. And in some ways, I feel like Jesus knew what play was drawn up by Satan that night. He knew that he was going to be betrayed by his own friend. He knew that his best friend, his best friend, his closest friend, Peter, would deny him. He knew that he was going to be accused of a crime that he didn't commit. He knew that he was going to be flogged, mocked, stripped naked, and beaten. The next day he was given a crown of thorns and was nailed to the cross. Above the cross where the words were written, King of the Jews, I was on Good Friday. King of the Jews was written right there. In many ways, I feel like the death of Jesus is an irony in, it, in itself. The man who the crowd declared to be the king of the Jews now hung on a cross, breathing his last breath. To all who watched this play knew who won. How can you save your people when you're nailed to the cross? How can you bring about your kingdom and rule as a king when you are hanging on the cross? How can you, how can you master up an army to come behind you when you are hanging on the cross? When, when Jesus breathed his last, he said, it is finished. The devil knew that he won this round. He was able to eliminate the son of God. He was able to kill the one who would save, who would save all humanity. Those who witnessed at the fruit of the cross acknowledged the devil won that day. The son of God is dead. All they could do was bury him in a nearby tomb quickly as they had to disperse because Sabbath was soon approaching their time. That's what happened on that day. So this morning we pick up that story in John 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw a stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came back running to Simon Peter and other disciples, the ones that Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. See, Mary Magdalene is heartbroken. Not only did the devil win by crucifying her master, but now the body is missing. She's a woman that is filled with grief for losing her friend and teacher. And she's not able to fully grieve as well because she's not able to carry out the ritual of grieving by caring for the body. The body is stolen. This is what we pick up in verse 11. We read the following. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. 
She wept. She bent over, looked into the tomb, and saw two angels in white seated there where Jesus' body had been, at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they have put him. Her grief is so powerful. Her grief has taken over her so much that when she looks into the tomb, she does not recognize that there were two angels who were talking to, us, to her. Think about it for a second. If you were looking for something and all of a sudden you saw two angels, you would pause and say, yeah, hold up, what are you doing here? Right? Like, what, what are you doing here? Yes, I'm looking for Jesus, but what are you doing here? She doesn't even acknowledge them to be there. Her grief and her sorrow has completely overtaken her. She is heartbroken. Her master is gone, and she cannot do anything about it. Nothing is in her control. The only thing that she could do was come to the tomb and anoint the body with spices so that Jesus could get a proper burial. Because the earlier one was rushed on Friday. At that empty tomb, Mary stands helpless, completely broken. According to Mary, the devil played, not only killed Jesus, but now his body is taken away. And Mary stands at the empty tomb, sobbing, looking for her friend and teacher. Here is another play that is revealed. While Mary is sobbing uncontrollably, the risen Christ asks, Mary, why are you crying? Why are you crying? I love Mary's response. I'm not sure if you've ever done this. I'm not sure if you've ever done this. I'm, never, I'm not sure. It's called the ugly cry. Have you ever done that? The ugly cry, you just blurt out stuff. You're, you, you're incoherent in what you're saying. Your heart is broken and you're crying and you're saying stuff. It is just ugly. I remember watching this one time. Uh, Kristen, right out of college, started working for um, uh, a Christian adoption agency called Bethany Christian Services. And one of her administrators, um, office staff, was Nadine Shea. And Nadine was wonderful. I heard so much about Nadine when Kristen and I were dating. I don't know who I was more nervous to meet, Nadine or Kristen's parents for the first time. That's how wonderful this woman was. And that one day, Nadine passed away and I saw Kristen do the ugly cry. You've been there, you've done those. I think that's essentially what Mary is doing in the front of the empty tomb, the ugly cry. Not realizing who she was talking to, she was crying. And in that moment, in that moment, Jesus turns to her and calls her by name. This is a play that the devil did not see coming, friends. And can I say, Neither did Mary. Mary thought everything had come to an end at the end of the cross. Death had 
took her master's life. And that was it. Period. Or the old English grammar term, full stop. That is it. But Jesus drew another play where death did not have the final say. Paul later, using this analogy, talks about this play as to what it might have looked like in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. And this is what we read. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? But thanks be to God, for he gives us the victory through Lord Jesus Christ. Where, O death, where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your sting? Friends, this morning, I don't know if you are in that place where you are, your heart is broken and you're doing the ugly cry. Hoping for Christ to show up. Hoping that life would change. I don't know where you are. But I want to say this to you today. Where, O oh death, is your strength? Where, O oh death, is your victory? The resurrected Christ. This is what resurrection means. You heard me say this before. The worst thing is never the last thing. The worst thing is never the last thing. Jesus always has another play waiting for you. So no matter where you are today, or maybe you have seen the play, and you're sitting here saying, thank you, God. Because I was like Mary at one point doing the ugly cry, and you showed up. That is the power of the resurrected Christ. Amen? Let us pray. God, we thank you for the power of resurrection. Where the worst thing is never the last thing. God, we ask that you would be present with us for those who are in need this day. That you would call us by name in our moments of despair. And God, thank you for the times that you did show up. Thank you that you showed up in those moments of despair. And you met us with another play that gave us life. And life evermore. We are grateful for the power of your resurrection. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.